It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Podcast Magazine and also the Neil Haley Network. And I'm excited to welcome WNBA star Michelle Snow. How are you? Thanks for stopping by and look forward to this conversation for Podcast Magazine and also to put out on all my networks. How are you? I am good and excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Neil. Absolutely. Let's kind of just talk about, did you always want to be a basketball player? Was that what you were growing up you wanted to do? Um, funny enough, yes, it's kind of part of, it's something I always had a passion, even before there was a WNBA, um, because they didn't start that until my senior year of high school. I always knew I was going to play, even if that meant going overseas. And when you have that mindset, you set those goals for yourself. I remember I'm, I'm a legitimate 6'10", so I remember the days when I was, but I got to started basketball at a later age. And I, once I started seeing this is my sport, I started setting goals for myself. How am I going to be able to play, you know, the varsity level? How am I going to not just be, you know, just coming in at certain points? I got to play with the best people. So when did you kind of have that, that inkling that this is going to be something you want to do and set up your goals for, to get to where you want to go? And you were bringing up just playing Europe because you know, you had no idea what that journey would be. I remember I was sitting in our home. We watched the NBA finals, Michael Jordan, step okay. back, hits the shot and everyone's going nuts. And he's just jumping up and down. He's so excited. And I was like, I'm going to play like that one day. And my dad goes, well, you know, there's no league for women. And I was like, I don't care. There has to be somewhere where I can play. I love the game. I love the momentum, all the people in the arena. You could feel the energy through the TV. Yeah. And I was like, I want that for me. How do I do it? And he's like, you know, you got to go to college. And I'm talking to my parents about it. And um, I go on the spot, you know, naive kid, not knowing any better. I go, okay, I got to go to college. I'm going to get 17 scholarships. I just make this up in thin air. Thankfully, their response was, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to. And it led to 150 academic and athletic scholarships to any school in the country. Wow. All because I didn't know that it was difficult to get one scholarship. And it started from watching that play and watching Michael Jordan hit such a clutch shot and watching the arena erupt. And it just led to a whole slew of dreams that I began, you know, manifesting. Like, here's what I want. Let me write out the plan and let me start taking steps toward that. So that's interesting. You talk about that. Bam, you, you hit, you see that. How old were you when that happened? And it had to be maybe nine, 10, maybe. Okay. So at that point, uh, women's and girls basketball was not still at this level that it is today. Oh. We're, we're completely in a different <laughs> hemisphere in where basketball has become to that point. But at that point, what do we, what goals did you set for yourself in nine and 10? Just start playing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I had, I've been playing since probably I um, popped out. 
Um, that's something my family does all day, every day. That's just what we do. So every time my dad would be outside playing with his brothers, I would be there grabbing his leg, trying to be on the court. I'm always that kid trying to follow him everywhere he was and everything he wanted to do. So I'd be out there playing with my uncles and they would tell me, if you're going to be out here, you're not going to cry. And you're not, we're not going to take it easy because you're out here either. And I'd be like, okay. And they would knock me down and see how I would react. And then help me up and be like, no crying, okay? And I give them a lot of credit for why I got as far as I did because playing them was so much tougher. I, I see a, a female in front of me and I'm just like, sweetie, you don't have a chance. I've been doing this against grown men since I was itty bitty. Wow. And where did you grow up? Pensacola, Florida. Very small town in the panhandle. Okay. So lots of talent comes out of that area. I think because there's not much to do. So everyone kind of commits to their sports. Um, and I had some great role models like Emmett Smith and uh, Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones really took me under his wing and, you know, he played in the CBA. So he would always be encouraging me, making sure I was around and just making sure he was that role model for me to emulate and giving me the best advice. Go find someone that can help you get to where you want to be. Go find a role model that's already where you want to be. And that's how that led me to my high school coach. Okay, so that's perfect. So at the point, were you one of the best players before going to high school, would you say, as a basketball player? Yes. So in my city, but I mean, it's middle school, so it's not like you're doing AAUs. You're not on the map yet. Right. Um, were, there, were you doing AAUs at that point? No. No. Didn't even know about AAUs. Okay. So small town, I tell people, you know, like, seeing the NBA Finals was huge for me. We grew up without cable. I grew up poor. So mm -hmm. I was unaware of a lot of things. Like Pat was recruiting me and I didn't even know who the heck she was. Like oh it was, gosh. Okay. yes. Like people were like, what is wrong with you kid? And I was like, unfortunately everything, everyone doesn't have access to the things that you take for granted. Yeah. I, was, I have no earthly idea. I didn't know anything exactly. about Exactly. Okay. So high school begins. You're saying yep. your role model, find yes. a role model. So you other professional mm -hmm. athletes told you find a role model. Yeah. And you chose your high school basketball coach. Is that different for, than other stories? I think it is. Oh, my, I think my story is very different from most people. Um, I actually was going to a high school for kids that wanted to be doctors. My mother was sick and I wanted, you know, every kid wants to make, make their mom get better. So that was my dream. I want to become a doctor. Um, and I went over to meet the coach while I was there and interviewing for these different schools for magnet school. And they were telling me she was an All-American. She played at Alabama. She was this, she was that. I was like, oh, I want to meet her. This may be the person I'm looking for. And I walk over to her and, um, and I tell her, you know, hey, mind you, I just went from 5'5 five, five to 6'5 in one year. So I just had like a huge growth spurt. And I walk was over. Was that expected? It was crazy. I'm the tallest in my immediate family. Everybody else around 6'2", six, 6'1". Six, Sisters, brothers, everybody. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but I'll take it. It paid off. Um, but I just walked over and introduced myself, told I was going to be a part of the Health Academy um, and that I wanted to play basketball. And she was like, you should be on somebody's team. And she's just looking up, staring at me like, my goodness. And I was like, I don't just want to be on somebody's team. I want to win state. And her reply I, I tell it in every speech. She looks at me and goes, you do know our record last year. We were three and 19. And I, and I just, and I'm that kid. That <laughs> I didn't really, I don't care about your record. We're going to state. And she just laughs. She laughed me off until we went to state. And I just looked back at her and said, I told you. 
And I was like, all I need is for you to tell me what to do. I'll do the work. I, I got two military parents. I know that I am more disciplined and I will outwork most people. So what did you learn from your high school coach? Even though your high school coach didn't have the mindset that because you're at an academic school, academic yes. brainiac school, mm-hmm. that you could go ahead and do this. I mean, this is amazing uh, because so what, what did what did he what did your coach teach you, even though they didn't believe it? You were the one that had the mindset to believe at that age. We're going yes. to things. So I always say crazy stuff. Uh-huh. But I can't say that necessarily like really, really, really believed it. I can't even, I just know that I would say stuff like 17 scholarships. I just made that up. Like, okay, I'm going to get 17 scholarships, mom. You're not going to have to pay for me to go to college. I knew my, my family probably would not be able to do that. And it's interesting because I come from an academic background. My mother's very academic, <laughs> double major, science. So going into high school with her being sick, I knew like every every little bit that we have is going towards her medicine and things like that. So meeting my coach, she was interesting because when she first brought me in, I would always be in her office every single day. And she had all these books that she kept ordering. And all of them was how to coach a post player, post moves for this. She would sign up and be going to these post camps to learn how to coach. And by me watching her move um, or learn more about coaching big post players, because she'd never had a post, like how many women do you know walking around 6'5"? So watching her invest and learn made me want to invest and learn because she was setting the example. And then she would sit there and teach me what she was learning. Keep your elbows up. You know, every time you bring your elbow, elbows down and you don't protect that ball, I want you to do a sprint up and down. Okay. Okay, coach. Like whatever she said, do I just did it. And she, like, watching her, because she was a, an All-American guard. She was a, one of the best shooters. So she was always teaching me the game and teaching me to expand my game. And I was never afraid to learn more. That was the biggest thing she taught me. Like, be resourceful. Figure it out. And right. don't ever let me tell you something can't be done. Before, like, she met, before she met you, you said that she, she, she was an All-American guard. So she was just on mm-hmm. a team that she didn't expect to win because of that it was more of an academic school. So you didn't expect to have those kind of players, right? Well, when coaching, yes. Now, when she was a player, she played for Alabama. So they, they won okay. <laughs> at Alabama. So she was a winner. It was just, I think she was just starting her career as the high school coach and coming into that arena. And I didn't know anything about redevelopment, teams going through that phase where you have to, you know, get them to that level. And that's where we were. And I didn't know it. I was just like, I just want to win. I just want to play ball and win. So what was your uh, basic thought process when your coach, I want to know your coach's name just for the article. What is the coach? What what was your coach's name? Allison Davis. Allison Davis. Okay. And just for the record, just for that, having that. And so basically did she teach you other things as well? You think you said you had a military family, so you really learned the, the discipline and being academics are important, all those different things. We can tell that same story, but I think of a story of a coach. What did you learn that was not sports related from your coach? Oh my goodness. So many things. Okay. <laughs> from I wrote her a long letter maybe two years ago and 
I was just like, there were so many things off the court that I watched you do from watching how hard you worked, how resourceful you were, how you had a growth oriented mindset, always trying to learn and develop yourself personally and be in the best version of yourself. She spoke to every kid, the guys, you know, all of us, like she has a great relationship with every kid that comes through that school and she demands the best of you, but she does it with love. Like she just has a beautiful spirit. I tripped somebody one time in a game. Okay, I wasn't, you know, always <laughs> the highest character. And I remember she snatched me out of the game so fast. And she was like, it's not about how many points you can score. There's a way that you're going to carry yourself in my presence. And you're representing the school, you're representing your family, and your family would not, you know, they will not accept you acting like that. And I won't sit it down. And I was so hurt. I was like, I mean, what was the big deal? Da, 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 da. And she just taught me character. She made us do study hall every day to make sure our grades were good. Um, like she was like, academics was a priority. That's not necessarily the case with many sports programs. They don't care about anything outside of that court or that field that you're on. And she did. She made it very clear. Your parents are about academics. I'm about it. Everyone on this team is going to be academically sound. She made sure we went out to events and restaurants and taught us etiquette. And I just got to watch her going through different processes of how to run a team, which is a business. And that was like my first kind of glimpse inside of business outside of my parents and watching her. And I was like, you really taught me a lot when my mom couldn't be around just because she was bedridden on airing myself. Okay. So you were mentioning something about now let's talk about the recruiting process. Let's talk about you made it to the States. Did you win the States or just made it? Yeah. Undefeated. Did other people join you or is it was your all-star how you made the team great? Like a Michael Jordan made other players great. No, actually um, the year I came in, we had twins come in six, two, six, three, another young lady, six, one, and another one at six feet. And all of us were like those crazy athletes that are always in the gym that are always working out. Like, I mean, we just kind of meshed. Um, and it was interesting because now she had all these tall players that she had to put together and create a team with. And some of us, you know, like I was uh, five, five. So I was the point guard before. So I understood how to dribble. I knew a lot of things that maybe most post players couldn't do. I was definitely before my time because I will pull up and shoot from the outside, shoot the three and it would drive her bonkers. Cause back then it was the cornbread post, sit on the block, don't move. <laughs> so it was interesting watching all of us play together and around each other and mesh. And then honestly, it was a lot of hard work. The biggest thing was five miles every morning. That was her thing. You're gonna run five miles every morning and you better not stop. I don't care if you run slow. I don't care if you run fast. You just better not stop. And it was little things like that that brought us to that state championship. We were in far better shape than most people. We didn't necessarily have the best shooters, we just outran you and got layups and we were going to out-rebound you. And we were going to fight and have heart and play hard for each other. And that's something she created was that environment of sisterhood, family. You talked about all the college scholarships you had, academic and also athletic. Tell us about that process. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that was pretty awesome. Um, I, I will never forget signing day and I thought it would be cool because I was like, let me put all a letter from each school in a box. So I had like 150 letters, this big box, and I put them in front of my mom. 
And I said, I told you, you remember when I told you I was going to get 17? I said, mom, it's 150 plus schools in here, like every school. And, you know, I'm like excited. And it really didn't hit me until she started crying. And I, like my heart dropped. And I was like, what's wrong? And I saw how proud she was. And I realized this isn't normal. I really believed this was normal. I really believed it was possible. And that's why I speak to this day to these kids about anything really is possible. Find someone that's done it, listen to their story and see. And watching her cry, I was like, okay, my next step is I got to graduate from college. And, you know, athletes at that time was about 33% graduation rate. Mm, There's another, really? Horrendous. It's horrendous. It's all about, hey, you come and you do this, but not necessarily about making sure you get the degree. There was one person that had 100% graduation rate, Pat Summit. Very intimidating person, intimidated the daylights out of me. I'm sure. Um, Yeah, very intimidating. And it was just a process of, are you willing to take this on? Because she was completely different from a high school coach. Listen to what she has to say and understand that she is the next person on that ladder. That is where you want to be. That has duplicated this success in others. Now it's your turn. Legendary coach. Yes. And we look at specifically enough her, right? And just being recruited by her. Tell us that story. Any stories of the recruiting, why you chose Tennessee? There's one in particular. It was in the fall. It's close to signing period, my um, junior year, my senior year, beginning of my senior year. And I've done all of my visits. You know, you take your five visits. And it was between Tennessee, North Carolina, University of Florida. Um, University of Florida calls the day, day before signing. They tell my best friend, we're going to go to Florida together from Florida. Um, They tell her that um, if I don't sign, they don't want her. I immediately scratched them off the list. Um, It was really difficult between North Carolina and Tennessee. Very hard choice for me. Sylvia Hatchell's niece played on my high school team. And she found me before every other school in the country, offered me a scholarship my freshman year. Went to her camp every year. Um, you got Sylvia Crawley dunking. You know, um, they just won the national championship. And right. mind you, I didn't know about any other school. So for me, this is it. And then you have Pat Summit. And I go up there and I'm so intimidated because now I'm finding out they just won three back to back. I'm finding out how big she is. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I was not prepared for this. I'm looking at the arena and she's like, it's packed like this every night. There isn't a seat in the room. This is what you'll get. And then she tells me, if you come here, you have to battle for a spot every single day. And you're going to battle against the best players. And you're going to have to do that every single day. If you do, you will have the exposure to go pro. You just have to show up and do your part. That's intimidating for someone coming from being the big fish in the small pond. Yeah. To really. Oh my goodness, they don't need me at all. They got the entire team returning next year, which means, as everyone said, you're not going to play. Why would you go to Tennessee? They're too good. You're not good enough. You're too skinny. And you got all that negative stuff. Thankfully, I'm the type of person that takes that and uses it as fuel. And I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to play, but at least if I go to North Carolina, I know I'm going to play. So I'm torn between these two. And I called Pat and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to sign this spring. I'm not ready to sign. 
in the fall. I just don't know what I want to do. Pat tells me if you do not, um, hold on one second. Can I pause for one second? Yeah, sure. Sorry about that. My kids no worries. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Off the speaker, sorry. But I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm talking. I'm saying I'm torn between Tennessee and North Carolina. And Pat tells me, well, if you need to wait until the spring, you won't have a scholarship. We don't want you. Whew. Quite humbling. Yeah. Then she tells me, I'll be there tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, right. She's not coming tomorrow. Whatever. So I get to school the next day and there's this long sidewalk that leads up to the school. It's probably about the length of a football field from the street to the school. And you can see her standing and you know those blue eyes where she stares through you. She's staring at me and she's like, sit your down. And I'm just sitting there like, okay. I'm not really going to mess with this. Let me sit down and see what she has to say. She takes out a piece of paper and a pen, folds the paper in half, draws a line down the center of it. She puts Tennessee, North Carolina. She puts one national championship. Then she puts two, marks it out. We're going to win this year, three. Whoa, first off, you're quite confident. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. Then she goes Olympians. I think it was like three or five, 18. And she's writing the numbers down and comparing graduation rate, 100%, whatever North Carolina was. Um, when I tell you the numbers, she was like, now based on these numbers, you told me you wanted to be one of the best. If you do, I don't understand why you're indecisive. It makes no sense. Shoves the paper in my chest and walks off. It says, sign the papers or go to North Carolina. I'm talking about the chills. I go straight to my coach's office. Let me tell you what just happened. And she's just like, well, I mean, it is Pat Summit. And I was like, well, who is that? I don't understand why she's like this. I don't think I can handle her. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, best decision I ever made. Absolutely. The hardest decision, some of the hardest times I've ever had to go through, but the best decision I made was to learn to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And that's something that's carried me through my entire life. Wow. So getting out of your comfort zone, that's what Pat Summon taught you. <sighs> Definitely. She took me from a shy kid that wouldn't look people in the eye if I didn't know you. Like I'll talk to my teammates, but even they'll tell you I had my headphones on all the time. Any of my Tennessee teammates will tell you, she always has her headphones on. She's listening to music. You know, I didn't have the best social skills. I really didn't because my mom is sick. We're in the house or I'm at the school all the time. And Pat was like, we're going to work on that. And she brought me in and she said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be, um, I said, I want to be a businesswoman. And she started telling me about the real estate. She told me about speaking for the FBI and all the things she did. She was like, I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to hate me for the next four years, but I promise you it's going to pay off. And it was difficult. She would make me get up in front of all 10,000 people and speak. She would make me say the prayers if we had an event. 
she was always putting me on the spot and forcing me. You know those sweat pockets you get? Yeah. I would start wearing all white so that you could see it because it would be just sweat everywhere. I'd be shaking. Oh and even now, I still get those sweat pockets, but I'm comfortable. Mm. And I can, do, like, I can do this interview now without looking down or trying to find somewhere else to look. Right. Yeah, the things that the character, she builds that character and builds you into someone that's going to be successful outside of basketball. Exactly. And yesterday was her birthday, her heavenly birthday. Oh, my gosh. So I guess we talked a lot about Pat Summit. What did you accomplish at Tennessee? Then we'll get right to the end uh, WNBA career as quick as we can. And then we jump right into the podcast. So we have had some great stories, but we'll just continue to try so we can close it out soon. But this is such a great interview. Wow. You could have three parts to it. Um, so what, what did you comp- What were your biggest accomplishments in Tennessee? I think hands down, people are going to say um, the first woman to dunk three times in, in a collegiate game, doing it on national television. Um, was probably the biggest accomplishment and the response from the fans, that energy that I saw during Jordan's game, like watching that, watching the arena erupt, watching my teammates go nuts. And to be told by Pat, nice steal, not nice dunk, nice steal. (laughs) And that she's the best at pushing the right triggers to get the best out of you. But that was probably one of the best moments. And then being able to do that continuously, I think it brings the fans along on the journey. And for me, that was the biggest part because that's what made me want to play was watching how Jordan took people on a journey. So uh, did you guys win a national championship when you played for we had two finals mm-hmm. lost on in both. And I tell people, I now have that lifetime chip on my shoulder. Love my UConn players. They're great people. Absolutely great friends now, but it always left that chip on my shoulder to never stop, to never quit given everything that you got because you may only get one opportunity. Most people never made the finals. I made it twice and still just never closed it out. And that was one of the hardest things for me is to walk out of Tennessee and not have that ring. At the same time, I mean, four SEC championships, all the different things that we were able to do. Um, there were so many other things that I go, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else either. And the opportunity to play pro. That was the, the biggest part is the exposure to get the income, to be able to make things better for my family. That was my number one goal. WNBA career, biggest highlights. Wow. (laughs) I can think of a few. I mean, I think the biggest, for me, the biggest part was my family. Like my mom, as sick as she was, her being able to to be brought up to the draft in New York to see her kid get drafted and just to see those tears of joy, the happiness, the pride to be able to have her come out to games and the, the other players come over and make sure, you know, they speak to her. They gave her autographs like Lisa Leslie. There were players who really went out of their way to make my mom feel special. And for me off the court, but that was the biggest and most important part for me was to see the person who believed in me the most. And that gave me that positive reinforcement, be able to be a part of it before she passed. Okay. Uh, in WNBA career, kind of highlight some of the things like teams you played for, things like that for our listeners. Four-time national champs. That was fun playing for Van Chancellor. He's my absolute favorite coach. I tell you, that accent just gets me every time. Uh, but playing for him was the best thing that happened because at Tennessee, I was on the block and I kept telling people, I want to play outside. I, I'm used to playing outside. And everyone's like, post players don't do that. And Van was like, 
well, Cheryl's double team, Tina's double team. Well, take it, then take it bigger. And he just let me play. And it and no one could guard me because the post players were too big, too slow. And I would just pass it in, they pass it back, I bring it up the floor. Or I could shoot from the outside. So you were forced to come out. If you came out, I blew by you because you were too slow. It was a constant mismatch, but it also was an opportunity for people to finally see my individual um, game and how well it was. But I was before my time, well before my time, because that's all you see now. Right. The European style finally came to the U.S. Mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. I'm glad it did. <laughs> so the big guys could shoot from outside when we were told always stay inside. All right. So um, I guess lo- talking about entrepreneur mind mindset before we get to the podcast uh some tell us some of the things that current projects you have going on that are in, that i was hearing from james was telling me about as well what you're doing you're really doing some big things um real estate is one of the biggest things i've been doing that my entire professional career and that was a great place to park my money where it would be able to get that interest that compound interest and grow and allow me to continue to allow my money to grow um other things speaking is really big for me going in and being a representation of what is possible in my community, a community where there's a lot of athletes, but they're men to be that woman that comes in and says anything is possible that can show them like they'll see the cars and the crazy stuff or what you're wearing. And I'll make sure they understand kids. I started in a trailer park with holes in my shoes, being bullied and picked on because Mm -hmm. I did get in. And it's being able to show them that, tell them that story and take them on that journey and watching them light up, like they see that it's possible. That's the best part for me is being able to speak and do that. And then the other thing is I do a lot of business advising for people who are starting their companies, teach them how to do it. And I'm a product manager at Nike. So I was a Nike athlete. And then they did this program where you could come in and learn the global business. And I was like, wait a minute, if I go in and learn from Nike, my real estate company, the business advisement, all of this other stuff is going to blow up because that's a global company that knows what they're doing and they know how to adapt to change, which is huge. Awesome. All right. So how did you meet James Scott and how did the, doing this across the pond WMBA podcast? Tell me about that. Yeah. Ryan introduced us. Um, I guess he reached out to her about doing it. She was like, I'm way too busy. Can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. And she sent a message to me and I was like, of course, you know, I'm, I'm down for it. Like, what's the concept? What's going on? I got on the phone, talked to him, understood what was going on over in Australia, his family, his passions, why he started the project. And I was like, man, I'm in. Let's do this. Awesome. And so tell us a little about what the podcast is about and how you're going to how you guys are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be about really um, having features and focus on the WNBA. But not just during the season, because most people don't know this, but you play four or five months here in the States in the WNBA. A lot of those players careers overseas in the offseason. And I'll tell you, I did 16 years, 14 of them concurrent. So doing them together. And then it's so many stories that are outside of the WNBA. It allows you to get to know the players personally. I think that builds the brand, that builds the player's brand, creates endorsements and sponsorships. And when you have those, I think the entire league as a whole grows. And that's what we want to do is be able to give them a platform and a stage to tell their stories and allow fans to get to know them. I promise you, you're going to love them. (laughs) Yes, because you're going to line up some interesting people, right? Absolutely. Everyone has an amazing story. 
They do. And to highlight the WNBA in a way and then get uh, James's perspective from across the pond, just understand his love for American sports is awesome. I think it's a great yes. thing and you'll have a great tandem to go with, but just to know those stories, like stories I've been telling. I mean, I could talk to you for hours just on just a couple of things, just on Pat Summit alone. And some of the yes. things you talked about, you, when are you writing your book? That's what I'm asking. I'm um, actually, I have two of them written. The first one is coming out this fall during a speaking engagement that I'm doing. Um, Entrecon, it's a big business event here in the U.S. So I will be the keynote speaker for that. And we're going to actually make the book come out along with it. And I have a couple of um, surprises that no one expects that are going, I like to over-deliver. So let's just say, um, stay tuned for Entrecon and the book and everything that's about to come. That's fantastic. So already a book. So that's, is that your memoir? The book that's coming out? No, honestly, well, it's a little bit of both because I kind of did it in a different format. So part of it is each chapter, it tells you about my life, but it also gives you the practical strategies so that you could do it. The one thing I can't stand is reading a book and hearing someone else tell me how they did it, but not telling me the exact steps that I need to do in order to duplicate that same success. So I wanted to do it in that format. So at the end of each chapter, you can walk through, do the reflection, whatever you need to do. And it tells you exactly how to get to where I'm at because everyone's success is different, but first you need to figure out what that is and then find that mentor. And then from there, you got to just take action, listen to what they're telling you to do and trust the process. That's so true because that's the process. I mean, Pat, yes. Pat Summit was your mentor to help you to get to where you are. So you learned how to speak, you had real estate, everything. And then you find the person that's above you or influential, learn from them and grow and then go to the next level. And that's what you're constantly doing, learning and then learning from Nike and where you're going. So you're just an amazing person. It's unbe- It was an unbelievable conversation. Best place to connect with you. Where can we go? Definitely my email, my website, michellesnow360.com. So we have a lot of free trainings on there. Um, I love to focus on personal and professional development, giving people the opportunity to kind of understand, like it starts like what I said earlier, character. Like, who are you? Understanding who you are. When you ask most people that question, they tell you what they do, not who they are. So it's helping people to go through that process and understand who they are, what they want, how to get there. Their mission. Hey, you have to have a mission and vision in your business or your brand, or you just are going to miss out because you're yeah. going to be going, you're going to be like everyone else instead of really, truly who you are. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the time. And uh, thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. All right. That was the recording of the podcast magazine interview with Michelle Snow. Take care guys. Celebrity slots. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. YouTube and Facebook, uh, Larry For- Forletta from Forletta Investigates. How are you, Larry? And, uh, you know, I 
want to learn more. We've learned a lot about you in the last couple episodes about podcasts, about different things. But I thought we have a great topic for us today to talk about because I think this is an important one because we we have misconceptions. We just don't really understand why hire someone like this. And I'll tell you about the topic, but I want to say hi to you first. How are you? Hey, Neil, it's uh, good to be with you as always. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. And shout out to the Facebook people that are trying to guess who I interviewed uh, um, a couple days ago. And they fi- I finally had to give it up. And that was Abby Lee Miller of Dance Moms. But, you know, we have another famous Pittsburgher and Larry Folletta. So let's kind of, you know, jump right into specifically enough. Why should we hire a private investigator? Because we know we talked about this at times. We think of private investigators as people that are kind of are shady you know, the, 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 the preconceived notions that they're not, they kind of didn't want to be in law enforcement, but you don't fit that bill at all. You're the guy that you did your time. You did amazing work as a DEA, as a, as a law enforcement agent. And then you took on your career in private investigation, but really people just look at what they see in the movies. Yes, and unfortunately, there's uh, always a big misconception uh, about private investigators, um, you know, as seen on TV. Um, but uh, there is private investigators. Uh, I would say the majority of us are professionals that want to do uh, the right thing, uh, give the client the satisfaction and the help that they truly need in their case, whatever it is, whether it's a criminal matter, civil matter, personal matters. Uh, the one thing that people don't know is that there's probably over 50,000 private investigators here in the United States. Um, and private investigators are civilians. They're not law enforcement, so they have no authority, but they're licensed. And each state has different licensing requirements. And so, uh, and the other thing that a lot of professional investigators uh, do is they join associations and they become members of the associations because you know, there's continuing education uh, involved in those associations. For example, I belong to one called PALI. It's the Pennsylvania Association of Licensed Investigators, another one in Ohio, and then another one that's, that's an international organization, which actually started here in Pennsylvania, is called IntelliNet. So, and, and there's probably three or 400 uh, private investigators throughout the United States and internationally. So it's, it's a great network with a lot of professionals and that think that helps, you know, you do your job much, much better. That's great that they're, you're, you're certified that you have a, your license. That's an, an important thing that people don't understand that you just, I can't just become a private investigator. I can investigate uh, things. I'm an investigating mm-hmm. journalist. Why can't I be a private investigator, Larry? Why can't I just do your job? Tell me why. Well, first of all, in Pennsylvania, for example, you have to have, you know, a prerequisite number of investigative hours to become licensed. So usually uh, if you're a seasoned law enforcement and you've conducted investigations somewhere in the nature of a couple thousand hours, you know, that qualifies you uh, as a start to become a private investigator uh, and you meet all the other expectations. You have to be licensed, bonded. Um, and actually, you are appointed through the court in that particular location. So if it's in Allegheny County or Lawrence County or wherever, 
Um, the court actually has to sign off. You have to have, you know, uh, basically uh, people, you know, behind you and things of that nature so that uh, they're getting the right person. But yeah, you are licensed uh, in that particular county, usually approved because you have to petition the court. You usually um, you hire a lawyer, which I did. They petition the court and then, you know, you have references that you have to use. And, uh, and then once they approve it, then you begin uh, to move on. And plus, you know, if you have a company, your company has to be registered as a state in the state that you're licensed as. So like I have an LLC, so we're licensed and registered in the state of Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay. So why hire, you talked about the misconceptions, but then let's talk about why hire a private investigator. Well, each uh, situation is different, but I'll try to narrow it down to some reasons why you should. And we'll talk specifically about what type of cases that I'm referring to. So let's start with the criminal defense side uh, that a lot of criminal defense lawyers will hire private investigators. I mean, generally speaking, uh, you know, they look at the background of the of the private investigators, see what their qualifications are. Usually it's, it's a word of mouth, uh, ref, you know, referrals. And generally, they want you to be, be able to in, either enhance or help mitigate their case. So if it's a criminal defense case, you know, you're going to go out and interview witnesses and uh, bring that information back to the lawyer. And sometimes that helps them make a decision as to whether they're going to go to trial where they're going to take a plea. And it all depends on the case and, and the circumstances. So that's one part of it. And plus the fact on the legal side, criminal defense side, lawyers can't go out and be their own witnesses. So that's why they hire private investigators. So that process begins right when a court case opens up? Yes. And a lot of times because the attorneys know that there's going to be, you know, they, they may have a number of witnesses that they may want interviewed. Um, you know, just like anything else, sometimes they procrastinate and then they wait to make a decision or they get to, you know, discuss it with their client, uh, whether to bring us in or not. Um, so sometimes, you know, we're, we're playing catch up uh, to, you know, learning more and gathering more information about the facts of the case. Interesting. I, I would not have thought that process. So let's just say that um, you committed a mur uh, like not a murder, but some sort of crime that mm -hmm. is going to go to court and then, then it could be in deep trouble. It could be something. And there are people, witnesses to, I guess, to testify against that person. You're going to go ahead and, and investigate those witnesses to see if they would be worthwhile for the attorney to utilize and cross-examine or not cross -examine, ask questions because if they are not a good, reliable witness, then you take them off. You don't, you take them off the list of witnesses. Sure. Well, uh, we'll, we'll call, I have been involved in homicide cases, but let's talk about a sexual assault type case um, where let's say it's a college atmosphere, which I've had those cases and, you know, there was a bunch of students around and one, particular individual makes an allegations against another, uh, you know, what were they doing? They were drinking or doing whatever. And the next thing you know, you're, you're out uh, gathering the facts from the other uh, individuals that were at that particular party. 
you know, what was the person like, were they intoxicated, et cetera, et cetera, because now it comes down, it's a credibility issue in a lot of these, as they call them, he, she said type cases, Right, right. Exactly. It's a, it becomes a credibility issue. So you want to make sure that the witnesses that you either interview or you develop during the course of the investigation are credible. So you have to have a lot of training and experience to be able to do that. And that came from my, you know, 30 years in law enforcement and interviewing thousands of people to just, you know, to try to see whether they are a credible witness uh, that's going to have to testify in, in a court case. And so it's a process of elimination. And then usually I'll meet with the lawyer and I'll say, okay, I interviewed A, B, C, and D. Here's what I think. Or sometimes we'll bring them into the lawyer's office and we'll both uh, proceed to interview them. And then we discuss it. You know, what do you think? Do you think this person's, you know, credible and et cetera. And, uh, you know, so we check out the witnesses as thorough as we can, and then we sort through everything else, but that's kind of, how that process works, especially in those types of cases. So before the first time where they have, they interview them, the lawyers don't want to waste their time. If they know to even interview them to prep them, they don't even want to waste their time if they're not a credible witness. So that's why they have you come in and dig deep to find out. Exactly. And that's, that's the, one of the main reasons behind it. And then the other thing is the reason why we interview them, because say, for example, uh, I was interviewing you and you told me something different at the time of the interview. So I would be called in as a rebuttal witness against you and to what you actually said to me during the course of an interview. That's why the lawyers want private investigators to go out, do those interviews, because in reality, that private investigator is that lawyer's witness uh, should it become necessary in that, in that case. So tell me about, um, other reasons to hire a private investigator. That's a great reason, especially if you're a law, you're a lawyer and you want right. to get the to win the case. Yeah. Well, I it, and and that's always the case. But you, you, when you look at a lot of these cases, whether they're criminal, or civil, you have to try to jump ahead of the the ball game, so to speak, to try to minimize uh, court exposure. Because back to the criminal side. Our criminal justice system would be clogged if we didn't do plea agreements and things of that nature. It would just shut it down. So a lot of times what lawyers are looking for is to mitigate the information that their client gave to them and plus the facts that we're able to come up with. It's the same way in a civil case, uh, you know, whether it's a personal injury case or anything like that, we do the same thing. Um, so we try to gather all the facts. And it's important what I always try to stress to the lawyers, whether it's on the criminal side or the civil side, is to get in touch with us ASAP. Don't wait, you know, two weeks or three weeks down the road and say, oh, I think I need a private investigator. Okay. Because we want to be there from the beginning of the case with a complete understanding of it. And, And the reason why I say that is because that's what I did for a living. You know, as a DEA agent, when we initiated investigations, myself and the prosecutor worked together from the time that we opened the investigation to the time that we went to federal grand juries to the time whether we went to trials or to the time there were plea agreements. So it's like a team concept that everybody knows what each other is doing and what our set of responsibilities are. 
So the same thing, again, that, that to me is the way I've applied all my cases using that theory and, and how I learned that uh, over time of trying to get that information, jump on it and move on it as soon as you can. Because the problem with witnesses is memory. And sometimes their memories will fade. You know, the longer you go waiting and waiting and waiting about a situation, now you've got to try to rehash uh, the information that they already have. All right, great. The other things we talked about before, background checks, we talked about, we Mm -hmm. talked about, um, that we've already had them on the show. We talked about um, looking at specific employment stuff. And we also talked about spousal abuse or, I mean, not spousal abuse, sp- sp- uh, divorce proceedings, mm-hmm. um, investigating people that are trying to get out of paying alimony. Right. So what other things? Why well, hire well, the other thing that we talked about was child custody. Yeah. Uh, those cases are always important because you want to get on top of that right away because there, there may be a situation where one parent is doing something uh, illegally or bad behavior, because a lot of times, again, they wait and call us. And then sometimes those things start changing rapidly. So it's best if you're going to hire a private investigator, don't wait to do it, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody. Uh, and so what we do is, when we get these calls from people, we immediately respond. We'll call them back if we, you know, if we're not answering the phone for whatever reason, and we'll discuss their case uh, right off the bat and see if it's a fit and see if we can actually help them. Uh, that's kind of the way we look at it. Any other things we would think about when hiring a private investigator that we might have missed in the last couple episodes we've covered? Well, you want to make sure, again, as a, a lay person or someone somebody looking to hire a private investigator, you know, look at their qualifications, always make sure that they're licensed and insured, bonded, et cetera, uh, because that's important uh, for you to make decisions because, you know, people call me and say, well, you know, I've never worked with a private investigator. I really don't know, you know, how this works. And the other thing that they don't understand is that you got to pay the private investigator. Um, I tell people, you know, be prepared to have a budget for your case. You know, don't think that you're just going to pick up the phone and it's going to be done for free because that's not reality. Um, private investigators have a business to run and, uh, you know, they got, they have issues just like everybody else. So I always tell people, you know, make sure you have a budget in place that you think that you might need uh, because, you know, prices for, uh, Private investigators, they can run from 75 an hour to 250 an hour. It just depends on the firm, the case, you know, every, everything. So I always, you know, try to tell them so that they have a clear understanding. Now, so what we do is we have a uh, agreements that we sign and have the client sign to make sure they completely understand the services that they're getting. And we explain it to them with this agreement. And then we have agreements, you know, also with our lawyer clients as well. Okay. All right. So very, very interesting stuff. And I think that you're not, you just also look at different things involving uh, uh, protecting people. You provide those types of services as well, where if you're looking at uh, issues where, you know, uh, tips involving security, look at active shooter, 
types of things, uh, certain crises that occur in certain buildings. Things well, like that. One, yeah, one of the things that we do is that, uh, for example, employee terminations, uh, we'll work with that company for them to terminate an employee, whether we do surveillances on them, uh, go with them when they talk to the employee. Uh, we've, we've done a few of those. Uh, and uh, a lot of times on employee terminations, we coordinate that with law enforcement in that area uh, to make sure that they understand there's an employee being terminated. You know, we don't know if there's any potential for violence unless we've got information uh, that that person may be violent or there's red flags behind it. You know, that's always the problem with a lot of these uh, shootings that occur at, at uh, employee termination. You know, just recently down in Florida, Palm Beach County, I believe it was, you know, a longtime employee who was happened to be 80 years old told them, you know, they were, he was told that he had to leave. It's time to go. And uh, I don't know all the facts of the case, but at the end of the day, he came back and killed um, one of the employers. Yeah. So, I mean, he shot him. And again, those kind of situations, you know, and that's something that I, when I talk to business people and companies, you know, hey, look, if, if you have those kind of issues, you should call us and we can work with you and we can work with the law enforcement authorities in that area. Because a lot of times law enforcement is reacting to an active shooter, you know, and sometimes you, you, you have to look at wanting to prevent that from happening. Now, you can't always predict people's behavior, but you can sure give it a try and you can certainly, you know, deal with professionals that can alert you know, the proper authorities, uh, you know, should that take place and be able to handle the situation. All right. Best place we can find info on you, Larry, so people can go and hire you today. Where can they go? Uh, sure. Well, they can go to my website as usual. It's www.fcisllc.com. And uh, also we have our podcast, which is called Forletta Investigates. So it's uh, the podcast is on every Tuesday at 9 a.m. And we talk to a variety of uh, law enforcement professionals. And it's uh, it's a very interesting podcast. All right, Larry, again, great talking with you. We appreciate you coming on the Neil Haley Show and look forward to next week. Thanks, Neil. All right, guys. Again, that was the Neil Haley Show live here on Facebook and YouTube. Take care. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.